Hello and welcome back to the preview show. On today's edition, we're going to be looking ahead to Manchester United versus Arsenal. It takes place this Sunday at Old Trafford. We're going to be looking ahead to that. We're going to be discussing some of the news regarding Hus Farmi and various other bits and pieces that come up in conversation. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by Manscaped.com. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. Um, First of all, happy Saturday, uh, bringing you a Saturday edition this week. We'll be looking ahead, of course, to that game against Manchester United. We'll be discussing the Husfami thing a little bit too, and I'll be taking your questions in the live chat, so feel free to chuck those in there as well. Just a quick reminder, if you are new to the channel and you haven't subscribed already, please do hit that subscribe button. Um, It's so, so important. And as well as that, smash that like button too. That really helps us as well um, as we look to grow the channel further. I guess there's only really one place to start, and that is uh, the news regarding Husfami. Now, it was reported yesterday uh, by The Athletic. I think it was by James McNicholas, uh, otherwise known as Gunnerblog, who broke the story first, um, where he said that um, Husfami will be leaving the club. His departure has been agreed. And of course, for those of you who maybe don't know, who maybe don't follow the Arsenal as closely, Husfami is uh, the numbers guy. He is the guy who was tasked with dealing with contract renewals and all that sort of stuff. He's basically the numbers man at Arsenal at the moment when it comes to negotiations. And it looks as though, well, he is uh, leaving the football club. So it's another move in the restructure, isn't it? There's been lots of change behind the scenes at the Emirates Stadium of late. And this is the latest change in that movement. Arsenal clearly looking to go down a different path, clearly looking to um, change the way they go about business. So, yeah, um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how things will work moving forward. Now, what we've been told and what's been reported is that Arsenal are looking to bring somebody in um, to handle that side of things, to replace Husfami, but they're going to be a lot less senior, i.e. they're not going to be calling shots. They're going to be tasked with dealing with certain negotiations, and that is it. Whereas Husfami at the moment is very much one of the club's hierarchy, um, one of the club's, I'd say, probably key decision makers. Although you don't hear as much about him as you do about Edu or, or Arteta or or as you used to hear about Raul. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they move forward for this. But we know that Arsenal are looking to bring somebody else in, um, but they will not be as senior as Husfami in their role. So again, um I'm not going to pretend to know a massive amount about this or a massive amount about how this is going to look in the future, how the setup's going to look in the future. But when you look at it on the surface, some of the deals that have been done during Husfami's time have been, in our, in my view, bad, um, have not made sense for the club, have left us in a position where we've ended up with players on big salaries who maybe haven't delivered on the pitch Um you know, there's been a lot of negotiations, hasn't there, that have raised questions. And and so to hear that Husfami is leaving, um, I'm not going to say like I'm jumping for joy because I don't really have a view one way or the other on the guy. But, you know, it, it's it's got to be seen as a step in the right direction when you, can t- when you consider how badly we've been uh, operating in that kind of department, how we've wasted money, how we've given contracts to players who just haven't performed and and not only given contracts to players that haven't performed, but we've overpaid for players, I think, as well. And I know that's not solely down to Husfami and you could argue it's the reason that um, Raul Sanley lost his job, but it's clear that the whole structure was wrong. 
um, and that there was problems and there is room to improve in that department. So I look very much forward to seeing how Arsenal are going to change in that sense, how Arsenal are going to push forward and um, what the future holds, basically. Um, but let's uh, let's move on and look ahead to the game against Manchester United, which is the one uh, that I guess we go into probably under some additional pressure and some pressure that isn't really helpful, in my opinion. When you think about it, um, you know, obviously our record away against the big six has been quite frankly, embarrassing. Um, I feel like in recent seasons, we've had chances to go to Old Trafford and win. We really, really have. Um, but we haven't taken those opportunities and we found ourselves, as a result, feeling disappointed coming away from those games. You know, I thought we could have won at Old Trafford last season. Um, of course, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored that equaliser. I think it was after McTominay put Manchester United in front. So, we have come away from Old Trafford in recent times thinking, yeah, this is a pretty poor substandard Manchester United side, yet we've been unable to take all three points. We've been unable to end that dreadful record of of sort of playing the big six, or the traditional big six away from home. So I am very much, again, looking at this and thinking, yeah, it's not a great Manchester United side, but we both come into this game in very different shape. Um, and when I say that, I'm talking about sort of the, the, the last results, the last couple of results. Um, obviously, Manchester United, they got a really good result against uh, RB Leipzig in the UEFA Champions League. They battered a team that many people thought were going to go to Old Trafford and give them problems. That wasn't the case. United absolutely blew them out of the water. So they'll go into this with with um, some positive energy. From an Arsenal perspective, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, that we beat Dundalk, but who didn't expect us to beat Dundalk? And there are still, I guess, some question marks over that victory against Dundalk because, you know, we didn't create in the first half. We really, really struggled to break Dundalk down. It took until around about the 42nd, 43rd minute before we found the deadlock, just a one effort on target in the first period. And, you know, I spoke about it on the review show following that game. I do think that Dundalk deserved a lot of credit for their performance. And it was ultimately their cup final, the biggest game of their lives. And you don't see teams when in that situation, more often than not, roll over and die. They will give it their best. Often it's a cagey start. It's a difficult start. But that's why I kind of put irrelevance to that result because it was Dundalk. And as much as I was pleased with the individual performances of some players, it, it, you know, you, you keep going back to that point. You can go around the houses all you like, but it was Dundalk. Um, but prior to that, obviously, was our disappointing defeat in the Premier League. Um, that result against Leicester City, a game I thought that we, we should have won, um, a game in which it was kind of the usual problems uh, that we've seen under Mikel Arteta, which is struggling to break down um, a low block, not creating enough. You know, a lot of people praised our first half performance that day and I thought it was good, but there was still plenty of room for improvement. But then those defensive lapses at the back, the kind of defensive laps that allowed Jamie Vardy in. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, you you go into this game feeling I don't think as confident as we maybe should um, and also add to that the fact that there's a little bit of an increased pressure on Mikel Arteta you know there's been a lot of talk about the style of play the style of football so what does Mikel Arteta do here he's in a bit of a predicament does he go to Old Trafford and open up I don't think that's the right thing to do um, but you can bet your bottom dollar that if we don't perform if he does go the way he has been going into these games with that kind of back five, a very defensive shape, very defensive setup, and we don't perform, then the knives are going to be out for Mikel Arteta again. I mean, I found it unbelievable that there were people going for Mikel Arteta on social media following that Leicester City defeat. Yes, it was frustrating. Yes, it was um, disappointing. But to be calling for Mikel Arteta's head at this point, I think is an absolute nonsense. Um so yeah, you know, how does he approach it? I, I guess that's kind of the biggest question. 
can he find a way to get goals out of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang again, who's going through a little bit of a mini drought and he's received a lot of criticism. Is it time maybe to move Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang back through the middle? Like uh, there, there are so many questions and I'm going to come on to share with you guys in, in just a little bit my selection, what I would do, how I would approach it and we'll kind of cross-reference that with maybe what I think Mikel Arteta will do and we'll try and come to some sort of um, starting eleven for the game at Old Trafford but it's never easy um, Arteta you know you could accuse him at times of maybe overthinking things and, and being sort of desperate to spring that surprise and so his team selections are difficult to predict I've spoken about the front three at length on previous episodes and I feel like he needs to settle on a front three and allow them to play together week in, week out, so we can try and develop that cohesion, um, that understanding that they so clearly don't have at the minute. And they're not going to have, are they? If you're changing players every single week, it becomes difficult. So yeah, we're going to come on to talk about that in a little bit. But let's look at the previous uh, between these two sides and, and the records and the, the statistics going into this one. Uh, let me just, uh, for those of you watching us on YouTube, share my screen with you. Don't forget, if you haven't already, smash that like button. If you haven't already subscribed to the channel, then please do so. Uh, we're approaching a very big landmark and um, I'd love to see us get over that that mark sort of by the end of the weekend. It would be amazing. Um, it feels like because I'm so desperate to get there that we've kind of slowed down. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Right, let me share my screen with you guys. Um, let's have a quick look at the head-to-head -head between Arsenal and Manchester United in the Premier League. Uh, 56 meetings between the two clubs. Manchester United have won on 24 occasions. Arsenal, 15. Uh, there have been 17 draws between the two clubs but if we look at some of the most recent meetings you know it's not been too bad for the Arsenal and, and a lot of people talk about that record away against the top six and the record against the big six in general but I think you know when you look at that it doesn't make bad bad reading and, and that's the positive you know our last meeting was uh, January 1st New Year's Day one of Mikel Arteta's early games uh, in charge Arsenal beat Manchester United by two goals to nil at the Emirates Stadium. Earlier on in the season, under Unai Emery, we drew 1-1 at Old Trafford, a game I've already touched on. Going back to the season before, Arsenal beat Manchester United at the Emirates Stadium again, again by a 2-0 scoreline. We drew at Old Trafford that season as well. Um, and the season before that, towards the end of that campaign, uh, the 17-18 season, we lost at Old Trafford by two goals to one. So the head-to-head -head between Arsenal and Manchester United in recent times isn't particularly stacked in Manchester United's favour. Arsenal have won two of those. Uh, United have won one of those last five meetings and there have been two draws. So it's not all doom and gloom. And when we keep talking about that record against the big six, yes, it's relevant. Yes, it's been a problem. But Manchester United have been one of the sides that we have been able uh, to get some form of success over and um and pick up points against so don't go into this one completely um void of confidence because you should take some confidence into this game we've seen Mikel Arteta get results against big sides by playing in a certain way and as again I talk about that debate about around the style of play and I think it is a valid debate um but do we really think he's going to go there and change that at this point I don't think so I think that if he goes there and gets a point then the sensible Arsenal fans will probably back off a little bit. If he goes there and 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 loses, then the knives will be out from a, a wider population. So I think he's got to be careful here. And I think the timing of this fixture is horrible. I've said it before. I said it on the 90 Min show, uh, the, the preview show earlier this week, um, where we were discussing this. I said that the, the pressure that's on Mikel Arteta now and the kind of, you know, I say pressure, it shouldn't really be pressure. It should be just questions being asked. But the way some Arsenal fans go about things, it does become a pressure. And that's why I keep using that word. If he does go and get beat, if he does sit back and concede a late goal um, or, or lose by the odd goal and, and we're pretty toothless going forward again, then I think there will be daggers out for Mikel Arteta again. And I really don't want that to happen. So 
when I say that this fixture has just come at the absolute wrong time, it really has. I mean, after that Leicester result, you'd have wanted a Burnley at home. You'd have wanted a, a West Brom at home. You know, that's the kind of fixture that you'd have wanted. But this is far from ideal. But it is what it is. Uh, and we've got to try and make the best of it. Um, going back to, to some of the, the kind of uh, the, the form guide, I guess. Manchester United's last game was a game I commentated on actually uh, for VSIN over in the United States. And it was one of the most drab and dull affairs that I've probably ever seen. Um, you know, I a little bit of a joke, but whenever I go into commentaries, I prepare a load of notes before the game. I take them with me. And more often than not, I've got more material than I actually need because the game, to a degree, does the work for you. But on this instance, that certainly wasn't the case. Um, it was a really poor game of football a game that neither side wanted to lose and and I feel like the Arsenal United game is going to be very similar where you're looking at two sides who have aspirations of finishing in the top four they've looked at the rest of the division they've looked at teams dropping points left right and center around them and now do they want to lose these kind of games probably not I'd probably argue that the priority here is not to get beat it's another reason why I don't think Mikel Arteta is necessarily going to change his approach and I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as much as I think he's an average football manager I think it's something that he's probably learned in his Manchester United tenure so far that actually sometimes you're better off protecting what you have um, pushing for the win because I do think United pushed more than Chelsea did that day but you know, within reason, pushing sensibly because the pressure that comes with a defeat is just too much. And so it's probably first and foremost about avoiding that defeat. So I do think that you could see a really, really cagey affair at Old Trafford again this weekend. And you look at these sides and you think both of them have plenty of attacking talent on the field. Um, defensively, there are question marks over both. Although Arsenal have improved in that department, that's because of their approach rather than them particularly improving in terms of personnel. Yes, Gabriel's come in and done really, really well, but is that enough to, to turn aside from a defensive liability into a, a solid outfit? Maybe not. Um, it is all about the way that Mikel Arteta is setting Arsenal up, and that is why they have improved in that sense. Um, Arsenal's last game, as I've already mentioned, um, was that defeat against Leicester. Prior to that, it was a defeat at Manchester City. And you do worry because if we were um, to lose again, it would be a third successive Premier League defeat. Yes, it's a, they've come against United. They've come against City. They've come against Leicester. Yes, the other previous one came against Liverpool. But you, you, you know, people don't look at that, and that's kind of the problem. I think everything needs to be put into context. That's so, so important when judging um, how a team have progressed, how a team have developed, and, and I feel like the context is often forgotten, often overlooked, and I do worry about that. So again, I'll go back to that point. The pressure is on Arsenal here very much not to lose this game of football. For Man United, it's been a strange start to the season as well. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, they've played a game less. Um, they find themselves in 15th position. They have lost at home to Crystal Palace. They lost heavily at home to Spurs 6-1 that day. And of course, they drew with Chelsea. So Manchester United are yet to win a home game in the Premier League, which is unheard of. Uh, it's, it's simply unheard of. You know, this is one of the traditional Premier League big boys. Um, and when you look at that, you can't help but feel like it's just a matter of time. And that's probably another reason why some Arsenal fans are feeling so downbeat and so uh, sceptical about Arsenal's chances of going to Old Trafford and getting a result. When I look at what United bring to the table, I see a team who, again, as I've said, plenty of attacking power, um, pace in the likes of Rashford, Martial, uh, Greenwood, um, you know, you've got people like Bruno Fernandes who are capable, I think, of unlocking any defence. I think he's been probably the standout signing in the Premier League in the last year or so. I think he's been excellent. Um, he's really transformed that side. You know, there's the likes of Paul Pogba who don't know if he's fit, um, but he is somebody who can influence a game if need be. Um, you know, they've got some solid defenders in, in well, a solid defender in... Um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think that whoever plays out on the left for Arsenal is going to have a hard time and it could be maybe a reason as to why I think that um, 
Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang should maybe move back to, to his position through the middle. With Wan-Bissaka, I, I don't think he brings an awful lot to Manchester United going forward, like the traditional modern-day um, full-back would. But one-on-one in defensive situations, he is very, very good. And that could be uh, something that Mikel Arteta takes into consideration when making his decision. Um, but, you know, it's... There are weaknesses in that Manchester United side, just as there are weaknesses in this Arsenal side. And I think we need to look to expose them. I think we need to look to try and draw them out. And and I think Mikel Arteta will try and do that. I think you'd fancy Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in a foot race with, with most of Manchester United's defenders. I think that, you know, if it is Luke Shaw who plays on the left-hand side, then I think he's someone you could get at. Um, so yeah, look, there are plenty of weaknesses in that Manchester United side, but I feel like this game is going to be won or lost in the midfield. Um, and I feel like the midfield has been a massive issue for, for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal for quite some time now. I know that Thomas Partey's coming. Um, he obviously played in the game against Leicester City, but I didn't think the way in which he was deployed and the way in which the team was set up around him allowed him to to impact the game and to influence the game and that's going to be a problem you know you you spend 45 million pounds on a center midfielder who you you think is going to transform your team then you have to be using him in a way that allows him to have that influence and to to dominate in the middle of the park if you don't do that then then what was the point in going and buying him and what was the point in breaking the bank to get that deal done on deadline day so Arsenal need to find a way to get the best out of a number of players. You need to identify your key players that we've got a bit of a spine now. Gabriel at centre-back. Partey in the middle of the park. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is a world-class forward. We've got a spine of three players now that I think we should be looking at, I guess, um, you know, building our team around those players. Building our team in, in such a way that we get the best out of those players. Now, in modern day football, it is so tactical. It is so um, complicated. It is like a chess game at times. And you can't be sort of bogged down to, to focusing your play through one player. Because people will just work it out. People will just cut it out. You have to be versatile. You have to be flexible. You have to find other ways of creating opportunities. Other patterns of play. And, and that's kind of the biggest challenge for Mikel Arteta now. How does he find that right balance? And um, I'm going to share with you guys now the team I would probably go with. Um, I'm not 100% dead set on it because I think there are very solid arguments um, to suggest that others should probably feature. And we'll, we're going to come on to that now. So let's uh, let's discuss that. Um, let's get your thoughts in the live comments as well. And if you haven't already, quick reminder, smash the like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. And don't forget that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So if you haven't already, check out manscaped.com for all your male grooming needs. Um, enter the promo code at, oh, I was going to say at, it isn't at, it's just Chronicles AFC in capital letters. Um, you will see that rolling across your screens now. Uh, so enter our discount code CHRONICLESFC to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Um, it's a really good discount. Save yourself a fair amount of money with the 20% and the shipping as well. So do um, check that out if that is something you are looking for. Right. Um, let's uh, let's go over to uh, the team and, and how I would line up. And I'm going to take you through this. I'm going to explain my reasons for the selection that I've made. Um, and then we can we can discuss. And I'd love to hear you guys' comments as well. Right, so um, obviously Bern Leno is, is the number one goalkeeper at Arsenal. I don't think there's any debate around that at this moment in time. However, um, you know, it's worth noting that I thought Alex Renarsson looked pretty good. In the game against Dundalk, again it was Dundalk, and again you expect him to be comfortable in a fixture like that. But credit where it's due, I think he did all right. Um, I think I don't think Mikel Arteta will go with a back four, um, but I would probably go with a back four because I feel like we need to try and dominate in the middle of the park, and I don't think you can do that unless you have that third body in midfield. Or that third body that at least when you don't have the ball is willing to tuck into that midfield. And I think that's been a real, real problem for Arsenal. I think 
let me uh, just enlarge this so you guys can see it properly. I think when you consider what we saw the other day, you know, there's probably a good chance that you're going to see Xhaka doing this. You're going to see Xhaka dropping into that midfield area um, and uh, midfield defensive area, I should say, and making it essentially a back three, allowing Tierney and Bellerin to push on. Um, Partey, I think, will play in the midfield in that deep lying position. But this was kind of the problem against Leicester City. Leicester City sat with a low block. And if I bring some counters in for those of you watching on the video, let's just say for argument's sake that they are Leicester City players. Um, you know, I think they they worked this out and they played with a back five and then they kind of had this they allowed Arsenal to have the ball at the back and they kind of created this diamond almost around Thomas Partey, which just prevented him being an option, prevented Arsenal playing passes into him. And that that's made us struggle, I think, to transition the ball out unless they continuously forced us into the wide positions. I mean, how many times during that game did you see Kieran Tierney bomb up here? Um, and then did you see, uh, obviously it was David Lewis on the day, let me just get my lines up, Andy Gray style. And you saw those balls out there into that position because it was the only way that we could break Leicester City down. It was the only way we could get in behind. That was a very deliberate plan from Brendan Rodgers. That was a very deliberate plan from Leicester City. And it limited us to to not a lot at the end of the day. And, and when you look at centre-halves like the, in the profile of Harry Maguire... Um, in the profile of, of Victor Lindelof, I think they actually enjoy having balls come into the penalty area like this. They will literally stand on the edge of their six-yard box around the penalty spot and they will head balls clear all day. In particular, Harry Maguire. The way you get at Harry Maguire, you got to run at him. you got to turn him facing his own goal. To a degree, you have to pull Manchester United forward and further up the pitch to do that. And and yes, that has its challenges as well. But this kind of approach, I feel, will will just suit um, Manchester United to a T. And add to that, I don't necessarily think we have the profile of forward to be playing that way. Um, we really, really don't. You know, uh, tell me that we have Olivier Giroud up top again, and I'll say to you, yeah, get in the wide positions, put those balls into the box, get in and amongst him. Um, get involved closely to him and, and you can make stuff happen. But with Arsenal, that's not the case. You you don't necessarily associate Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as someone with a great aerial presence. And the same could be said for Lacazette. The same could be said for Eddie Nketiah. So I, I, I do expect to see Granit Xhaka drop into that defensive position. And one of the criticisms I had about Arsenal um, against Leicester City was that lack of bravery. I wanted to see Xhaka step into that midfield alongside the other two. I wanted to see Granit Xhaka joining in with the play and making it a three for Arsenal, giving that additional passing option so that Arsenal could then break forward um, and have that little extra man, well, have that extra man, create those overlaps in those midfield positions and move the ball. And that didn't happen. And essentially, because that didn't happen, the door to attacking Leicester through the middle was was closed because Thomas Partey was cornered from every which direction you look at. And that was a problem for me and something that Arsenal really, really struggled with. So I want to see that additional body in the midfield when we've got the ball. Now, I'm not saying that I want to see Granit Xhaka get, get move into the midfield and end up sort of, you know, in in these kind of areas, obviously within within reason so that he can, when we do lose the ball, drop here. Um, and help the centre-backs out. But there's got to be a, a fluidity to that. It can't just be as rigid as it was against Leicester, in which essentially Granit Xhaka played as a third centre-back. I don't want to see that again. Um, I really, really don't. I, again, I don't mind when we're under pressure. I don't mind seeing it in certain situations. But I don't want to see that as a starting position for Granit Xhaka when Arsenal have the ball. I think that was a major, major issue against Leicester City. Um Another issue against Leicester City was, and, and there's been plenty of images of this going around, but was that I guess the when Arsenal did get the ball in midfield, the midfield was too flat. You're not going to create passing lanes between one another like this. It's so easy to defend against. You know, you 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 can't expect to penetrate teams like that. And again, I'm going to bring those counters in because we're going to. And I know it feels like we're probably talking a lot about um, the Leicester City game. Um, 
But I'm using that as an example of the things that I didn't like about the Arsenal side. And I know that obviously Leicester had more men back than this, um, but this is just like a kind of example here. Um, oh, these are not the same size, but whatever. Uh, you get what I'm doing. You get what I mean. Um, you know, they had their back five. Whoops. I'm still terrible at using this thing. You think I'd have gotten used to it by now. Let's just move Aubameyang out of the way for a minute. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm all over the shop here. Um, yeah, you know, move, put your forwards there in between the lines kind of thing. And this was the problem, right? So you Arsenal had the ball in these midfield areas. Everybody was square. Nobody was making this move into that space. Nobody was joining into that space. Arsenal were not, were trying to squeeze Leicester forward, but... You know, we weren't taking up those positions in in between the lines. And that is so, so important. And that is why I guess Joe Willock got a lot of praise the other night and why I kind of like Joe Willock, because he does do that. He does get in between the lines. And that is where the damage is done. That is how you open teams up. That is how you cause teams problems. I mean, you know, this area here for me is is the important area here. You know, in between the lines. It's, it, if you have a flat midfield and their back line are just marking our forwards, but there's nobody, nobody and nothing getting into those areas in between. The area that I've got highlighted there on the screen in blue. Uh, for those of you listening on the audio, the area in between the two banks of, of four or whatever it was, or five and four in Leicester's case the other day, then you're never going to hurt anybody. And that's where we need to see that progression. We need to see those progressive runs. Um to, to for, from midfielders getting into those positions. I think when you look back at a couple of the games in which we've managed to break down teams, I think the one that comes to mind, and forgive me if I've got this mixed up, was the game against West Ham where Danny Ceballos did exactly that. Danny Ceballos moved into a position um, for the winning goal where he did get in between the lines. He did create that extra um, overload in that area and Arsenal's overload resulted in them getting into a position to pull the ball back across goal and create a chance and a goal scoring opportunity so I think there is um yeah I think there is a lot um to to look at in this game and there's a lot to discuss about how we can kind of potentially hurt this Manchester United side but I do agree as well that we can't necessarily just say you know oh let's uh let's just let's just um scrap all the the good things that we've done under Mikel Arteta because whatever people say um, and people will criticise us for our sort of lack of creativity in certain scenarios in certain games and that's a absolutely fair justification and a fair argument to have I do think that we we can't undo the good defensive work that we've done so far. So in terms of personnel, um, I think the, the back four picks itself, given who's available. I think Mustafi comes in at right centre-back alongside Gabriel Bellerin at right-back, Tierney at left-back. I think Xhaka and Partey play a part in the middle of the park. Does Danny Ceballos come in? I don't know if, um, if that may be the way that Mikel Arteta goes, that extra midfield body which then allows Xhaka to drop deeper because Zach, uh, Saka sorry, is not as, I want to say, midfield-minded as, as Danny Ceballos. So maybe you'll see Xhaka drop into the into the hole here um, in between the centre-backs and maybe you'll see Ceballos alongside Partey. I don't know, but I would go with Saka. I'd be a little bit braver. Um, and the reason I'd go with Saka is because when you look at my front line, which is made up of um, Willian, Pepe and Aubameyang, I think Saka gives us that extra flexibility um, and gives us the ability to, to pull off different patterns of play. Now, we spoke a lot about um, William playing in that false nine role at Manchester City. It didn't really work, but the 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 point of it from Mikel Arteta was, I guess, that he wanted to see William pick up the ball in central positions. He felt as though William in a central position could do damage, could create stuff. and And I feel like having Saka in the team and Saka making these kind of runs out to the left-hand side and pulling out when Arsenal were in possession would free up Willian to drift into this number 10 space. And then all of a sudden, when Arsenal have the ball, you do have a number 10. But it's Willian coming from a starting position on the left, which could mean he can escape the attentions of, of the man who's marking him. Get in bit, into that space that I was talking about, in between the lines. Having Saka in the team and, and Saka's natural... I guess um, his natural 
instinct to pull out to the left will essentially, I think, either create an overload on the left-hand side for the both of them to exploit or will provide William with the opportunities to move in field and occupy those spaces that we are just not using at the moment. And I've spoken about it in previous shows. I've spoken about it again at length today. So I don't want to bore you guys, but that space is the key space, I think. And it's a key space that Arsenal are not exploiting. Um, you'd have probably gathered earlier on in the pod earlier on in the podcast that I want to see Aubameyang move back through the middle um, this time because I, I just Lacazette's not doing it for me um, and Enketia for me isn't quite at that level yet. Yes, Aubameyang has scored goals from from that left hand side position, but I think this front three gives us that flexibility to to keep changing it around. Um, Aubameyang can move to the right sometimes. We know that Pepe likes to drift in field. And so doing this, having a centre forward, I guess, essentially who you would feel comfortable with playing from one of the wide forward positions means that it can be more interchangeable. When Alex Lacazette is in the side, that doesn't happen. Alex Lacazette is not somebody that you want to see on the left wing or on the right wing. So, you know, yes... You could argue his hold-up play is, is maybe better than Aubameyang's and there are things that he brings to the table that maybe Aubameyang doesn't. But um, I think having Aubameyang there and essentially having three players who are all comfortable playing in every single one of those positions. All right, Willian is not a forward, but he's comfortable playing in field. I think that that gives you more flexibility, the ability to rotate in game, and that makes it more and more difficult for defenders to pick people up and not lose track of people's runs, etc., etc. So that's what I would go with. I'd love to hear you guys' starting lineups in the comments section as well. Um, if you've got any questions, get them in there now. Um, and I'll pick some of those up uh, before we finish the stream. I can see at the moment that there are over 100 of you watching us live but um, we're nowhere near that in terms of likes. So guys, smash the like button if you haven't already. It is very, very much appreciated. I think we've got um, two, uh, 22 likes at the moment. So let's see that increase a little bit more. Be uh, be very grateful. As you can probably see on the subscriber count as well. We're on 9.99k. So close to that 10,000 mark. So if you're new to the channel um, and you've enjoyed the video, then subscribe to the channel as well. If you're listening via the audio, don't forget to leave us a review. Spread the word. You know the drill um, by now. Right. In terms of a prediction, um, it's a very, very difficult game to predict. As I said, I think that the, the key emphasis from both bosses and as much as you know, neither of them are going to sit there and say, you know, we just don't want to lose this game. They're both going to say we're going to go win the try and win the game. Um, Mikel Arteta says that ahead of every game. Um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer isn't necessarily the most, um, you know, for all the things I say about him and for all the criticism I, I give him, I don't think he's a negative manager. Um, I think he's been more tactically uh, careful in certain games and he's got results from some of those games so fair play to him um, but I do think that this is a game that we very much um, don't expect either manager to to want to lose this I think obviously that feels like an obvious thing to say in every game but games against your rivals in pursuit of a top four position I feel are are very 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 important um, and particularly in Arsenal's case where they're travelling to Old Trafford, I think the onus is actually on Manchester United to, to take this game to the Gunners rather than the other way round. So I do take some confidence um, from the fact that United are probably going to come out and play us a little bit more than we're going to go and play them. Will that leave spaces uh, on the counter-attack for Arsenal to exploit? Hopefully. Um, will we be able to exploit them? Hopefully. But I just can't help but feel like this is going to be a really cagey encounter. So... Um, I've got into my my betting lately. Um, been doing some excellent betcasts uh, for Vsin in in the United States, and we're back uh, later on today, incidentally. So I'll be sharing the link uh, on my Twitter account. So please come and join us for coverage of uh, Liverpool versus West Ham United in the Premier League this evening. Uh, so come and check that out. But one of the things that we've kind of been looking at is: do you go on the unders in terms of? Do you think there'll be uh, little goals in this game? I, I do. I think this will be a cagey affair. And if I had to stick my neck on the line, I'd probably lean, lean towards a 0-0 or a 1-1. Um, so I think it'll be a low-scoring cagey encounter in which both teams will be desperate not to lose. And that will, in my view, be the priority 
of both of these managers. Um, right, let's have a look at what you guys are saying in the live comment section. A big hello to every single one of you. Um, big hello to Omar, uh, to the rest of you guys in the chat as well, to Norwegian Guna, who says, good morning and good weekend, Gunas. We do need this win, Harry. Yes, we we do. Um, I think more than a win, we just need a decent result. Uh, we need a decent result and a decent performance so that people can get off of, of, of Mikel Arteta's back so that people can, um, I'm not going to say get back on board because I don't think you should be, you should have sort of jumped off of the kind of um, the support train, if you want to call it that, um, already. But I do think that, you know, this result, if it is a positive one, and by positive, a point at Old Trafford for me is a positive. When you look at our away record against the, the big six, which I've already discussed, um you know, a point at Old Trafford would be a real positive. And if we were to get that point, I think it would go a long way in, I guess, restoring the faith that some fans have uh, have lost in the last couple of weeks, um, rightly or wrongly. Uh, Callum Ferguson says, uh, Morning, Harry. I'm praying we can exploit United's back four high up on the pitch with pace on the counter. Yeah, I, I think I've touched on it already, but I think that when you look at Manchester United's team, um, whilst there are lots of strengths, same as Arsenal's team, there are some glaring weaknesses as well. And sometimes I have felt like Mikel Arteta has overemphasized the point of protecting our weaknesses rather than going after the opponents. And I get why he's done that. I feel like he's taken over a side who defensively were were nothing short of embarrassing. Um, and he felt that he had to do that. That was his first port of call. And I think it was the first port of call. He was right to do that. But now we need to look at progressing that little bit further he keeps talking about it in his press conferences he's well aware of it Mikel Arteta is not stupid he knows that his team are not creating enough opportunities he knows that his team are not exploiting the weaknesses of others necessarily enough um, you look back at that Manchester City game recently and you think they were there for the taking I don't think we've ever been to Manchester City in the last 10 years and and looked at them and thought bloody hell they're in a bad way here and even their performance on the day, despite winning the game, I thought their performance was pretty average. And that's what made it even more frustrating that we didn't go on and win it. But, you know, it, it is what it is. We, I do think that now there's a, there's a time and it's the time and there's an emphasis now on, on having to go and take uh, the game to our opponents a little bit more uh, in certain situations, particularly when we're uh, playing against sides who... Um, like us, are not at the top of their game. Manchester United are another club who are nowhere near where they need to be or where they should be, given their size. Uh, Alan Gunner says, Mike Dean's the ref tomorrow. Yeah, a lot of people are concerned about this. And Mike Dean, I call him the, the superstar referee. He always wants the spotlight on him somehow. And somehow he always manages to, to get that. He always manages to pull off a ridiculous decision. Um or, or you know whether it's him celebrating goals as it, as he was alleged to have done uh, during that Spurs game or whatever. Um, Mike Dean is one of these referees that you never know what you're going to get from him, and add to that the fact that we don't know what we're going to get from VAR anymore as well. And and you know anything could happen. And it's a shame that football matches are are so I guess heavily influenced by things like this. But it is what it is, and. I think we need to just control what we can control going into this game and focus on that. And, you know, if we sit here worrying about about the referee too much in the lead up to this, I, I don't think that's helpful. But you're right to have a concern about that, Alan. I absolutely agree. Um, it's just an added thing that you, you have in the back of your mind, isn't it? What kind of display, what kind of wacky decisions, what kind of... I guess nonsense are we going to see from Mike Dean? Who knows? Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Uh, going back to the news about Hus Farmy, uh, why not sentiment FC says, glad Hus has gone. Contract situations were poor. I thought Vinay was the money guy. Um, maybe money guy was the wrong term when I was describing Hus Farmy, but what I'm, when I said money guy, I mean the guy who deals with the contract negotiations, deals with the figures. Um, obviously, when it comes to the football side, Hus Farmy is not involved in that. Um, when it comes to discussions around players' futures and, and what that means for them on the pitch, that is very much something that Edu and Arteta deal with. But in terms of the money guy, I meant that he is the one who 
thrashes out the contracts financially with the players. He is the one who deals with transfer uh, fees as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I meant by money guy. Um, but yeah, um, I think, as I said, I'm not sitting here going, oh yes, he's gone, let's have a party. Um, because I don't feel that strongly either way about his farming, to be honest. Um, but yeah, um, I'm not upset that he's gone either or that he's going. Uh, Robin says, morning, Harry. Hope you had some good days rest. Glad that you're back. Hey, mate, thank you uh, very, very much. Um, I did have a, a nice couple of days off. I'm going to say a couple of half days off because in this world, it's never um, a full day off. Something will crop up at one point or another. Um, so I wanted to have two full days off. I didn't quite get that, but it is what it is. Uh, we're back and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's football time. It's the weekend. Bring it on. Um, let's see what else we've got. A couple more of you uh, discussing sort of the uh, the Mike Dean appointment ahead of tomorrow's game. Uh, Omar says, I think fans will turn on Arteta if we get beat bad tomorrow. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and, and I think people have the right to question and to ask and to be upset and to, you know, look back in with hindsight at maybe some of the decisions that Mikel's going to take and criticise them if we do get beat. But let's, let's go into the game first. Let's have the game first. Let's not get bogged down in thinking about sort of criticism that isn't warranted yet if we lose you know I'll be one of the first people to to sit here and ask questions about some of the choices maybe some of the individual performances um etc etc but in the overall picture I've got to be honest if we lost 8-0 tomorrow I still wouldn't want Mikel Arteta sacked at this point I, I really wouldn't and and you know that might sound crazy to some um but again Everything needs to be put into context. And I don't think context um, is present in, in a lot of people's minds at the moment. And as I've said on previous shows, there's this thing in society nowadays where you have to be one extreme or the other. You have to be Mikel in all the way, absolutely adore the guy, or you have to be Mikel out. Um, there is no in-between anymore. And that's a real, real shame um, because you can have sort of, uh, you know, opinions that, aren't so extreme and they be very valid but for some reason that's that's not the way of the world anymore everybody has to be sort of one way or the other and a lot of the shit that we have going on at the moment and the disputes that we have and the the problems that we have in the world are as a result of that kind of attitude i think um i love this one from ak it says maguire is as solid as a fridge yeah certainly physically um although i'd trust my fridge to protect my uh my goods uh, more than i'd trust uh, harry Maguire to protect my goal if i was david de gea that's for sure uh big hello to worse than kepa he says good morning harry how you doing mate welcome to the show uh jay bowling says be good to see saka up against wambisaka and like harry said over through the middle and have pepe running at shore but it's going to be hard against rashford bruno marshall greenwood pogba and van der beek uh, i think I, I did mention Martial, but I think now that I'm thinking about it, that he may be suspended. Um, he did get a three-game ban, didn't he, for that incident against Tottenham. So I don't think Martial's available. But you, as you've mentioned, there are plenty and plenty of a, a very good Manchester United attacking players that we need to be thinking about. Alex Inglis says, Saka at 10 is an interesting one and possibly the key to our creative issues. I think Mikel Arteta has made it very, very clear that he doesn't want to play with an out-and-out out number 10. So what I mean by that is someone who's just going to hang around in that space all the time. And I don't necessarily disagree with that because I think the the, the lack of a number 10, the lack of that out-and-out out number 10, a player who essentially is a luxury and doesn't have a great deal of defensive responsibility, that's made us more defensively solid. But I do, as I said earlier on, and if you're joining us late, rewind check it out um a little bit of fun with the tactics board when i highlighted that area in which i feel arsenal don't exploit enough and that area is in between the lines of defense and midfield i feel like maybe saka would have to be a kind of hybrid maybe he'd have to tuck into the midfield and help out when arsenal don't have the ball but when they do win the ball his first thought has got to be whether it's saka or whether it's one of our other midfielders whoever i guess is closest whoever probably thinks it's the right thing to do has to break into that space, has to start making things happen in between the lines. Um, and uh, yes, whether that's Saka or somebody else, I, I don't know necessarily going forward. 
But I do think it's key that Arsenal start to find a way to exploit those spaces on the pitch because it's been a real issue for us. And I believe that is the main reason why our creativity is is lacking. Um, Robin says he would swap Saka and Willian around. Um, Robin says not enough likes as well. Yep, he's absolutely right. There are not enough likes. Um, got a couple of dislikes on today's video so far. Um, I apologise to those who dislike the video, um, but I can't please everyone. So, <laughs> it, But if you haven't already and you are enjoying the video, smash the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. As I said, uh, we're very much uh, approaching a, a big milestone. So please, um, please hit the subscribe button too. Uh, Augustine says, I never rated Willian in Chelsea. He's a guy that hid in the shadows for Hazard. I think that's a little bit harsh. I think Willian proved after Hazard left even that he could be an asset to Chelsea, that he could provide assists, that he can chip in with goals. So I wouldn't go that far um, on, on Willian. I think his performances at Arsenal since the Fulham game have, have left a lot to be desired. I think that's absolutely fair to say. And I understand why people feel like that. I feel like that. Um, but, you know, again, what forward player in this Arsenal side has stood out in recent weeks? Nobody, because we're simply not functioning right in that area of the field. And, and whether that's because of a problem earlier on in the system, um, and by earlier on, I mean in midfield or defence, maybe we're not progressing the ball in the right way. Maybe the movement isn't right. Maybe the way Mikel Arteta is asking us to play with regards to how rigid everybody is in their positions is a problem um, and is hindering us in that sense. I don't know Look, there's so much to consider, uh, but I totally agree that Willian has not been at the races since that game at Fulham. We've not seen the best of Willian. And the longer that continues, the more people will question the decision to give him that contract. And that's only fair. Uh, Sulak says, we will pop champagne when you hit 10,000. Absolutely, we will. Um, it's been a it's been a lot of hard work. And, you know, I know look, there are bigger YouTubers out there um, who have got 50,000, 100,000, whatever. Um, but... What I will say about you guys is that we have a good community here of people that get involved in the conversations, are respectful to one another and people can say whatever they want about this podcast and, and people will point the finger at it and say, look, there are bigger ones out there. There are bigger ones out there. Yes, there absolutely are. But you know what? This podcast has given me the platform personally to make a massive career change, to leave a job that I was bored shitless in, to pursue my passion. And it's this podcast that has put me out there. It's this podcast that has given me opportunities to work um, and to contribute on Sky Sports, on TalkSport, um, on BBC Radio 5 Live, uh, on 90 Min, on various other outlets. It's given me the opportunity to go and commentate for, for companies in the United States, which is amazing. Um, so I, I don't give a shit, um, really, uh, when people say that there are other bigger ones. For me, 10,000 would be an incredible achievement and 10,000 um, engaged respectful football fans for me is is an incredible achievement and a fantastic community and I'd rather have 10,000 of you guys than 100,000 Muppets and, and and you know and what I mean by that is people are going to come on here and abuse one another and sh switch at each other when their opinions are different in the chat and you know hurl abuse and stuff like that so 10,000 will be an incredible achievement. And you're right, Sulak, we are going to celebrate it. And as I've said before, we're going to be giving away an Arsenal home shirt uh, when we run our competition once we hit that 10K mark. So very much looking forward to doing that as well. Quick update for the patrons, actually, as well. Your stuff has been sent out um, by the, the distributor. Um, those of you who sent me your addresses who have qualified for the free month free gift, um, your stuff is on its way to you. I think it's probably going to take about 10 days to get to you. So, so bear with me, but it has been sent. Um, so that is progress. And apologies again for the delay in all of that. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got here. Uh, Russ Morgan says, surely at the 30th time of asking, we can beat one of these teams away. You'd hope so, uh, Russ. You'd you'd hope so. Um we, we really need uh, we really need a positive result here, I agree, and it would be great, wouldn't it? Because not only does it lift the pressure off of Mikel Arteta, it would lift this monkey off our back with regards to our record away against these big sides, which every time we go into one of these games seems to be at the front, 
of all the the coverage and that needs to go i just want to get rid of it um i think it is important that we uh, put that to bed and and what better opportunity to do that than than this coming sunday so fingers crossed uh let's see uh, what else we've got here um john smith i love this one you just know united will get a pen yeah um <laughs> You do. Um, it's one of those things, isn't it? There are three guarantees in life, I always say. Um, marry, uh, marriage. Marriage is not a guarantee, and it shouldn't be a guarantee. Um, three things that you can guarantee in life are death, taxes, and a Manchester United penalty. And um, that is another thing that we have to worry about here. And, and we have to be careful not to give them any opportunities um, to, to win one of those, whether it's from set pieces or whatever. You've got to be so careful nowadays with VAR, although VAR decided to take a break um, during the game against Chelsea when Harry Maguire literally wrestled Cesar Azpilicueta to the ground and just proof of how ridiculous the bias can be. Or If it's not bias, then it's incompetence. But either way, one team were robbed in that game. And I just hope that that's not us um, this coming weekend. Uh, why not sentiment? They says thanks for the consistent uploads. Thank you guys for consistently uh, tuning in. Uh, I don't think David Lewis is fit. Um, well, he's not fit, um, which a lot of people are, are, are sort of asking. He's he's not fit. He's out of the game. Um, he's not going to play, uh, and that's why I went with Mustafi. Um, that's why I went with Mustafi and Gabriel at centre back. Andrew S says Oba cannot hold the ball if he starts through the middle will be under pressure for the whole game. But that's what I was talking about when I said that playing him up top gives us that fluency whereby Willian can come in field um, and pick up the ball in those sort of deep, slightly deeper than a centre-forward, but he can come in and, and pick up those balls. Aubameyang can move out to either side and, and get, put himself in between the spaces between the fullbacks and the centre-backs. But most importantly for me, it's the point that when chances occur for the centre-forward in front of the goal, I would trust Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to finish those more than I would trust Alexander Lacazette. That's what it comes down to. And people can beat the drum about Lacazette and say, you know, no, he's better in that position. But he's not delivering. That's the point. Um, that is the point. You know, for me, Lacazette just frustrates the shit out of me. He just commits foul after foul after foul. Um and nothing really else. He doesn't bring a great deal to the table at the moment. I know his goal-scoring record by comparison to previous seasons at the moment is respectable. But it's not It's not enough for me to, to, to keep persisting with him in that position. I just, I think you've, you've got to try and find a different blend. You've got to try something else. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Mystic says 10k coming soon. Carlo says can't wait for you to grow. Want to say I was one of the first subscribers. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, John Smith says 10k would be well deserved. Thank you, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Kaylee says that keep my shirt warm. Um, everyone's calling dibs on the shirt, but the reality is we're going to have a competition. You guys can all enter it, and the winner uh, will be sent a Arsenal home shirt. Um, you have to let me know what your size is, though. Um, so yeah. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, um, Carlo asks about VAR, but we'll touch on that um, during one of our midweek shows because it's a it's a pretty chunky subject. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll leave that for now. Um, but thanks for the question. Um, Russ Morgan puts an interesting question. Actually, he says, "Without Lewis, will we start a four at the back, or will Tierney come into centre back and Kola at left back for a five? You could see um, Saka play as a left wing back and Tierney drop inside. That's that's not beyond the realms of possibility. Um, me personally, I've shared with you guys the team that I would pick. I wouldn't do it. Um, I feel like we need to be a little bit more progressive, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mikel Arteta did that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. In fact, it's probably, the more I think about it, the most likely thing that he does. Uh, Omar says, Harry, go have breakfast, mate. You've been on long enough breakfast it's 11 o'clock mate i've been up since seven o'clock when you have a one-year-old that's what happens um i've had my breakfast a long time ago it's nearly lunchtime in fact um but yeah i am going to uh, leave it there because uh, i need to get ready for work because i am as i said bringing you live commentary of liverpool versus west ham united in the premier league this evening 5 30 p.m uk time for v going out across 
the whole of North America and the link will be on my Twitter page so if you fancy joining us for that um, then please do so the more people that come over the better um, so hopefully uh, we will uh, we'll hear we'll see some of you guys uh, joining us for that a little bit later on but until then uh, take care of yourselves stay safe and uh, fingers crossed we can go to Old Trafford come away with a result and put that dreadful record away against the big six sides to bed come on the gunners cheers you're listening to the chronicles of aguna the arsenal podcast i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon.